there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's incredibly serious from a criminal law point of view, not to mention the ripple effects it has in sporting law. These are the guys grabbing the headline sprints at the moment, not Lukaku. This is the most important Milan derby in a generation. I think Real Madrid and Man City wanted to play Napoli? Absolutely not. What I'm struggling with or trying to establish is the contradictions of it. So essentially, <laughs> welcome, ne- ne- ben- <laughs> welcome to Italy, mate. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Ripple Effect with me, James Lawrence Alcott. I have just finished the most Italian podcast conversation I have ever been a part of, and it was absolutely. Oh, it was great. It was so good. So it went all over the place and in the best way. For those of you guys who don't really stay uh, you know, abreast of Serie A, obviously everyone's talking about them right now because, you know, it's going well. But is that the truth? What is the truth? And what you know, what is the sort of soul of Serie A and where they're heading and what they are right now? Because you know, obviously, it's always about the top prizes. And when we're looking at the Champions League and we're seeing the dominance of the Premier League in terms of the money, Serie A has had a you know, real good go this year. Five teams in Europe. But is that going to last? That's what we dive into this week on The Ripple Effect. Talk about Inter Milan. We talk about Lukaku. We talk about Juventus. We talk about Napoli and if they are the saving grace for them. But we also talk about attendances. We talk about crazy managers, progressive managers, sporting directors and the infrastructure of Italian football. Uh, It is an absolute belter. Uh, Nima from the Italian Football Podcast and Gianni Batucci, huge, uh, huge um, Serie A fan, and uh, that a lot of you guys probably won't know about that because he's more of an FPL guy in terms of what you see from him. We had a proper good chat, so I'm excited for you guys to to hear about that. But it's me and you, of course, at the start of the podcast. The word of the week: revolution. A big change or improvement in the way that something works or looks or in the way that people do a particular activity. That is kind of what I'm trying to find out in this podcast. And actually, it gets to a point where we're like, hang on a minute. What are we trying to get to when it comes to the discussion? And I loved it. It was just super Italian. It was so great. But in terms of that word revolution, is that what is that what Serie A needs or is that what Serie A is doing? Or is it too late for Serie A, you know, to get back and be that dominant force that it was in the 90s and the noughties? Uh, Nima talks about it being literally 20 years since that uh, Inter Milan, AC Milan semi-final uh, back at the start of the, the noughties. And 
And at that time, the best players in the world played in Serie A. Now it's a little bit different and the transfer strategy is very different as well. So we have a look at that as well. It's great. I'm obviously excited about it. Let's talk about some quick fire ripple effects. Lacazette. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Lacazette scored four goals last night against Montpellier, taking his total up to 24 for the season. Will it lead to a Premier League club taking a gamble on him this summer? Will he return to the Premier League? It's interesting how uh, how dominant he's been in Ligue 1. Obviously, it kind of got to a point where, obviously, he scored so many goals, didn't he, in, in Ligue 1 and then made his way to, to Arsenal and always had that finishing ability. But by the end of it, he was kind of just a bit of a target man, bizarrely, for Arsenal. Another player scored um, four goals as well. Two teams having players scoring four goals. And there's a moment where 20-year-old striker uh, Eli Wahi, he pulls his shirt up and shows the back you know, going, read my name. And yes, I think that really was a moment, you know. When you score four goals and that's going to go around the world, it's going to get beamed round. You know, the the knock-on effect of that is that people are going to be watching this guy. Um, had a massive strapping around his knee, though, which might put people off a little bit. But keep an eye out for that name, uh, Eli Wahi, as well, scoring four goals in this match because it could cause sort of multiple transfer ripple effects and by the way guys we will obviously be uh, running throughout the summer and uh, we're really excited to kind of move into that next stage of the ripple effect which will be really focusing on transfer rumors and players and and who could go where which was this obviously the starting point of the ripple effect um here's some other quick ripples did the conte rant lead to spurs falling off a cliff to the point where they now they're now forced into keeping harry kane as a method of attracting a new manager and does this mean that a rebuild is going to become impossible due to losing him for free next year that is an interesting one. We will inevitably be talking about Harry Kane in huge depth. I thought was what's really interesting as well in terms of another ripple effect is Vincent Company signing a five-year deal. You know, look, we're not privy to everything, but I do wonder if Spurs weren't kind of getting where they wanted to be. I wonder if Vincent Company would have held off on that. He didn't need to do a five-year contract. But I guess actually, you know, another knock-on effect, if we're being wholesome about it, is it he goes... There you go. Where do I sign? Five-year contract. That gives me time to develop as a manager. I think it's a really smart move. And also in terms of retaining players and bringing in players quickly, knowing that your manager is on a five-year deal, uh, I think is a really, really smart move. They're not going to get a better manager than him right now. So for him to commit back, I think it's absolutely huge. And is, you know, it means that he's out of the running for that Tottenham job. And that is a problem. If You know, in terms of taking that Tottenham job, you would want assurances that Harry Kane's going to be in your team and you want to build from there, uh, despite the fact that I, I feel like they need a clean slate. But anyway, I think it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, I do keep going back to it. I totally agree with this idea. The Conte rant has led to everything that's going on right now. Or, or especially, there's blood on Antonio Conte's hands, for sure, in terms of the mess that Spurs have found themselves in. We actually talk about Conte as well in the podcast a little bit later on. So what? here's another one. What would have happened if Arsenal's £92 million deadline day bid for Thomas Lerner was successful back in 2017? Since this bid was put in, Lamar has only scored 11 goals in six years. Would there have been money to sign Saliba, £27 million, or Martinelli just for £5 million two years later? It's amazing. Sometimes I think that's the big thing. Like sometimes people, we've got to get this player. We have to get him. And actually, you're better off leaving them because otherwise you get held to ransom. We talk about Napoli in this podcast and how fantastic they've been. They are never held to ransom. 
there are other players out there and just sometimes people forget that. Some of yours, Jamie Moran says, not really this weekend, but Tommy Conway, who's a Bristol City player, uh, his breakthrough into the Bristol City first 11 meant Chris Martin was surplus to requirements, which led to him joining your beloved QPR and keeping you up. You're welcome. Correct. That is true. Uh, a bit of a ripple effect for, for myself. Amazingly, a long, long time ago, I was first trying to get into the media industry and to try and get some experience, I got in touch with QPR and the media guy there, Paul Morrissey, and said, can I do reporting for the youth team? Uh, we've sort of stayed in touch as the years have progressed and uh, a lot of you will know about this already, but uh, I got asked, and a bit of a ripple effect of Chris Martin actually going there as well, is that because they were safe... Uh, their media team got in touch and said, would you like to do the co-coms this uh, weekend? So I've literally today done it and it was really good fun and a bit of a proper bucket list moment, I think, to kind of be there and to broadcast for QPR. Really, really special. So it's amazing, you know, for, for you guys, or, you know, anyone who may be a little bit younger, every single person you meet, you never know if you're going to meet them again down the road. It's It's crazy. Travis Leveson, David De Gea mistake cost United Champions League, meaning that they can't afford full squad overhaul and therefore both a striker and a goalkeeper in United prioritise a striker and renew David De Gea's contract instead, meaning De Gea's mistake created a ripple effect that kept him on as the number one. Genius. Love that. Full circle. A full circle. Funny times with David De Gea. I, think, I mean, he's really like, you know, I mean, that was so bad, wasn't it? And he's really trying to get himself out of a job or get himself uh, self a move. But maybe he's playing 3D chess. Who knows? What I do know is that I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. I'm excited about the Ripple Effect. I'm excited where this is going. And I want you to join me every single week. If you are enjoying the podcast, follow the podcast. Give us a five-star rating as well as a kind act for the week that gets you some good karma. It will make its way back to you. I'm sure it will. A bit like David De Gea and his mistakes. So do that for me. Enjoy this incredibly Italian podcast. I don't know how else to describe it. And we will be back very, very soon for the next installment of The Ripple Effect. But first, enjoy this one. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Right then, guys. So fascinated to do this podcast. I'm sure a lot of you that listen to The Ripple Effect don't watch Serie A too much uh, I try my best to stay across it but I think the sort of the meat uh, aside from the bones is something that I can't truly understand which is why I wanted to do this podcast with the climate as it is when it comes to Serie A because it's a very interesting time because this is a strong Italian contingent representing their country and league in the continental competitions this season and this has got us thinking about how this happened and what does it mean for the future of the game across Europe and in particular Serie A because of course Serie A as a league was an utter giant in the 90s when I first started watching and into the noughties as well but has had a, a difficult time. The Italian rejuvenation may cause ripples across Europe and cause a power shift. Sounds good doesn't it? We haven't really seen before due to the financial dominance 
of the Premier League in recent years and the stature of the top two in Spain, of course, as well. Or we could see something different. We could see that this might well be a flash in the pan. Either way, there's going to be winners. They're going to be losers from this and some things in between. So today we're going to be diving deep into the resurgence slash miracle of Serie A this season. I've got two fantastic guests. Um, so excited to, uh, first of all, meet uh, Nima Tavali Rudsari. Hopefully I've said your name okay there. Close enough. Very close good, enough. very good. Oh, not. Uh, from no, the very Italian, good, actually. Very yeah. Good. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I went. I went with a bit of sauce. I've, I've noticed that if you just go for it, you give yourself a chance. Um, from the Italian football podcast and the fantastic broadcaster, uh, generally about FPL content, uh, Gianni Batucci, who uh, is wearing sporting an absolutely gorgeous jacket and we think it's from 1994 don't know if Nima knows but if you guys are watching on Spotify and you do know what year this is from make sure you get in touch with that uh, Gianni on that Twitter looks like 94 that looks like 94 92 okay. 94 because I, I remember Baggio that yeah. to me just screams Baggio does doesn't it Diodora Diodora is such mm. do, there's two sides to Diodora there's Diodora with Phil Neville Gary Neville Roy Key <laughs> and then then there's Diodora with all of those great Italian players from from back in the day um so guys thank you for spending a bit of time with me um first of all let's let's talk about th- these teams and maybe start with on the pitch for this first half and then uh, we can go broader and have a better understanding of where Serie A is at and and how it can kind of get back or or maybe it is already back to the sort of the level that it feels like it was and actually what is even back that's something we could probably dive into as well but um in terms of Italian teams still in European competitions and this is being recorded uh, prior to uh, all of the games this week in Europe you've got Milan and Inter in the Champions League semi-finals of course taking on each other and actually had a quick look at the league table and they're actually fifth and fourth right now. And it's so, so if that couldn't have got any spicier to have that on top of it in terms of getting into the Champions League next season, that just makes it even bigger. Uh, Roma and Juventus are in the Europa League and Fiorentina are in the Conference League semi-finals right now. Johnny, let's start with Minter, uh, Minter, Milan and Inter. Um, are you, <laughs> oh, Minter? Are you are you shocked by the? Uh, what, are you shocked by the presence of those two in these Champions League semi-finals? Yeah, I mean, if you'd asked me uh, and James, thank you for having me. Like, well excited to chat Italian football with you guys. But if you'd asked me at the start of the season, like, is there a chance both Milan teams are going to be in a semi-final of the champs? I said, absolutely not. Even that. This is off the back of a amazing season for AC Milan last season when of course they won the Scudetto but for me that was a huge surprise but when I started watching them in the Champions League this season you started to understand actually this is these teams are well set up these teams are well set up for European football they could have good runs you know very good back lines both these teams and then just super impressive quarterfinals like I think Many saw the, the quarterfinal lineup and was like, this is the easy side of the draw. And it, it really bugged me that. It really bugged me. Like, yeah, sure, everyone wants to avoid Real Madrid and Man City. But you think Real Madrid and Man City wanted to play Napoli? Absolutely not. So you look at even the interdraw, you know, the way Benfica have been playing this season. So, so good. So really good wins for, for the Milan teams to get through that. You know, in AC Milan, you know, beating Napoli over two legs. They also beat Napoli, I think, 4-0 in the league about a week or two before that. So really dominant over 
a team we all thought was playing the best football in Europe. So they absolutely deserve their place in the semi-final. And it's going to be a super interesting tie. I think Inter probably go into it as slight favourites, but you wouldn't be surprised the way Milan can grind out results if they, if they take it either. I'm so excited and really anything could happen. I don't know who I'm betting on in this one. It's going to be too close to call. Nima, uh, you know, obviously following the, the league intensely like you do, when you're looking at these teams in terms of them stepping into the, the Champions League and, and hoping that they're going to go far in it, did you see that level of quality in the league form going into it? Can you can you feel the difference when you make when you see these teams and you go, okay, you're doing well in the, in the domestic league right now, but the, that step up into the Champions League, did you feel like there were some squads here that were capable of going far? No, let's be honest here. No, neither Milan or Inter or, or anyone had, I mean, were expecting to be in the semifinals. I mean, Inter were open about having budgeted for the Europa League after having been drawn in the group of death with Barcelona and Bayern Munich. Uh, and that is a gross overachievement uh, for them to be at this stage. Um, you know, be the semifinalists, no one expected that. And absolutely not with Milan either. Um, look, it's we have to contextualise this. For the first time in history, you have five teams, five year Serie A teams in the semifinal stages of the three European competitions. That didn't even happen in the 90s or the early noughties, when Serie A dominated in a way that I don't think we'll ever see any league dominate European football um, again. It, not not just in terms of the places and finals and trophies. I mean more in terms of the quality on the pitch, the distance between the other leagues and the Serie A. Every single world-class player played at some point in the Serie A in the 80s and 90s and noughties. That's not something that I think we'll ever see again. Um, and they've managed this season to reach the top, you know, to, to have five teams at the semi-final stage of all three competitions. And, and that is historic. Now, I think that's a one-off. I don't think that's sustainable. I think this is more to do with the fact that I think the Real Madrids and Barcelonas have not been able to spend the way that they're used to doing. I mean, not, not, of course, not Barcelona because they just spend, you know, whatever. That's a, that's a show in and of itself. They figure it out later but on. Real Madrid... <laughs> Yeah, they, they exactly. They, 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 they go with the whole "we'll sort it out later" manana syndrome. Um, but uh, you know, it's uh, they they have spent a lot, but that you know the same way that Chelsea, but obviously a different financial structure. They've mortgaged their future. Chelsea have just divided all the contracts over eight years, or you know, however many years it is, to to get around that. But regardless, um, I I think this is still a little bit post COVID. I think the market and, and clubs haven't really recovered yet. And I think that allowed an opening for the Serie A to be able to impose itself at this level. But also because uh, I think we're seeing now the effects of the Roberto Mancini Azzurri revolution in the sense that when he was appointed na a national team coach, he was very open and very clear about how he wanted to revolutionize Italian football, meaning he was tired of the old cliches of defending and, you know, just defending deep and not having anything creative. And he, he changed out everything and, 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 and changed out the players that was available to him, which, cause he was smart enough to understand that they had a golden generation. And of course they won the European championships as a result of that, um, playing a, a progressive style of football, a possession based football that we've never really seen Italy play before. 
Um, I think that has prompted coaches like the Zerbi, Italiano, Simone Inzaghi, who are very progressive in their approach. Um, Italy still produces by far the best coaches in the world. And I think that's a big part of it. I mean, okay, Mourinho may not be the superpower that he once was, but he's not exactly dog shit either, if I'm, if I'm allowed to swear. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. And Ma yeah, Max Allegri is, even if people don't like his football, still a very accomplished tactician. He knows what he's doing. Um, so I think that's, I think it's a combination of all of the above that has allowed the Serie A and the Italian football to, to, to showcase its talent. And I think, you know, I, I, look, I mean, before the season, I had, I demanded a final from Fiorentina based on what they, how they had their transfer window. I had Europe, I had Napoli and Roma as my dark horses to win the Europa League. Um, so right. because I think, there was, there was, there. It was, it was all kind of lining up. That there was, a, there was a pathway there. Now, of course, when the Champions League started, um, Napoli played a football again. Same thing there. Spalletti's always played that kind of a progressive style of football, but the difference, of course, here being that he has, for the first time in his career, a squad of players assembled for his football, um, and that's why they have expressed that football so brilliantly this season. This team is, it's the most Spalletti team he's ever coached. And that's why they ran away with the Serie A. And if we're perfectly honest, I think most Milan fans would even admit to that, that had it not been for Victor Osimhen's injury, they would have probably gone through in that quarterfinal as well. So, you know, it's, 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 I think it's, it's a, it's kind of, a, it's a, it's a, it's a multifaceted answer. Because I think it's 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 far it's there's so many things that you need to you know that I need, you have to understand in order for me to you know it's not just a yes or yeah. no answer. And uh, do you know what? I, I'm going to uh, indulge my curiosity throughout this. So the structure of this podcast could go all over the place, guys. Just to warn you now. But if I find something interesting, I'm going to ask another question on it. The the management situation in terms of that progressive nature. Johnny, maybe come to you on this one, and uh, Nima, you sort of said it in my mind, so um, maybe it's one where you jump off the, on the back on it. In terms of that progressive nature of these coaches and that that twist in um, Italian football, because that is something that it, it feels incredibly embedded, and I'm sure it must drive you crazy when it comes to the the punditry towards Serie A of it of. <laughs> that really defensive nature that that freedom to be progressive and exciting like we saw in the euros where where has that freedom come from because it's certainly the general idea and consensus is that italian football is is defensive minded but it seems like the, these new minds and you i think you're right nima in saying that you know there are so many fantastic italian coaches and this is kind of a different question within it, but I think it's part of the cocktail of what I'm sort of what we're discussing here is that another thing I find really interesting is maybe it's just because it's on the front of my mind at the moment is that there are so many um, changes in management right now in terms of um, I think it was like 42 of the 76 EFL managers have changed in this country. And that feels very alien to us. But in I remember even years and years ago in Italian football, the changes seem to be far more more frequent. Um, all of those pieces together, Gianni. What? Why is? Why are we seeing these managers that we're seeing now? 
Yeah, I think I mean there's been loads of goals in Serie A for a long time, but we hold on to a stereotype and and we probably look back and and we have this picture in our head of of 90s and Catanaccio and defensive managers and we we see Italians have always been great at defending. So it's a very easy line for a commentator, you know, oh he's going to be great defensively or great defensive coach because he's come from Serie A. Really not been the case for a long time and you mentioned managers like say Spalletti for example, and yeah, like huge turnover in Italian football always of sacking managers and rehiring them. Managers going back to clubs they're at two years ago and sometimes their third spell. And Spalletti, for example, you know, he's just won Serie A. He's been been at a ton of clubs, been a bit of a journeyman, but he's got this assembled squad that's perfect for his style of attacking football. And, and you know, you could say similar with Pioli, like, you know, he has a go. And yeah, at times you've got to play to your strengths. And when AC Milan come up against Napoli, you know they're not going to have a ton of the ball and they can play defensive and they can play on the counter. But these teams are mostly set up to attack. And as Nima said, like with the Euros, you look at Mancini's Italy and this that, that there was a change there. We haven't been used to watching Italy over the years go in with such free-flowing attacking football. But the players are now there for it. But the coaches too. And Mancini, someone that's managed, of course, at Man City, where Have, you know, do you think that? Sorry, Gianni. Do you think that the you, was it so? Was it Mancini first, and it and and Serie A team Look, to follow, think, or the other I way think, around? I mean, I think we have to understand what how Roberto Mancini developed as a coach when he came up at Juve, uh, sorry, at Fiorentina, at Lazio, uh, at Inter. His first tenure at Inter, he did play a completely. It was it's not the Mancini we see now. It was a completely different Roberto Mancini. It was a much more defensively solid team machine that ground down teams because he needed to get results. And of course he won the cup, the cups everywhere and leads. And then obviously he failed in the champions league and he got sacked and Mourinho came in. But what happens when he goes to city is he's basically given a blank checkbook and he understands that, well, he changes, he undergoes this renaissance where he actually becomes a much more progressive coach and he wins them, well, pretty every domestic title that they win their first league title, including. So, then, of course, he comes back to Inter, you know, he, he brings them top four, he goes to Galatasaray for a bit, he wins a cup there again. Italy's national team is undergoing a complete disaster under after Antonio Conte, who performed a miracle. I mean, I think Conte's probably biggest miracle was taking Graziano Pelle, Eder and Giaccherini to the quarterfinals of <laughs> the Euros, beating world champions or, you know, you know, beating that Spain and then that Germany, taking them to the penalties. I mean, to penalty yeah, shootouts. That squad was the worst there. Italy squad we've seen in no, generations. I've never, never, ever seen yeah. it of all time. I mean, you can go through history. I've never, after, the, after World War II, there's not been a Italy squad that has been that poor. But Conte got them playing some amazing football because he's a system coach and also he's a drill sergeant and and you know he 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 goes in and he you know his calcio verticale his his movements he demands this is how you do i mean the, the jo- running joke is that antonio conte children play fifa on their computers antonio conte plays it with real footballers on the pitch he controls them he tells them you idiot a you run to point b idiot b you go there like this is how he talks to them um and and that's no this exaggeration is why he's always only ever there two years well exactly because no one because <laughs> i mean you can't talk to adults like that i I mean, you saw what happened, you know, at Inter. I mean, they were just, you know, Lukaku and Lautaro. I mean, Inter TV made a joke about it, essentially saying, because it was during COVID, you could hear what he was saying. I mean, he was literally talking to them like they were five years old. I mean, there are games where he was saying, Romelu, are you okay? 
yeah, great. Is everything okay? Yes, boss, everything's fine. Great. Then wake up and bloody start playing like it. Like <laughs> this is how he talks to them. Same thing with Lautaro. Lautaro, do you fancy waking up? The game started. Like, you know, this is how he talks to them. Um, and, and he is he is a drill sergeant. But of course, Mancini, when he takes over after Ventura, because Ventura inherited a very bad squad, um, and he failed because he's not a very good coach. Um, and then, of course, Mancini comes in. He looks at this Chiesa, Barella uh, generation, um, and he's quickly to, to bring them all in. He wants to play this 4-3-3 possession football. He's got, a, a, for the first time, I mean, Italy's always had good midfielders, but they've never had this many good midfielders. Um, and he understands that. And he's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play to my strengths. And he, he plays this possession-based 4-3-3 with Verratti, Jorginho, Barella, um, Locatelli, etc., etc., etc. So... You know, this has been a long time coming. It's a slow, gradual development of him. And when he took over, I mean, he's been very vocal. He's he's angry with Italian clubs for not playing more youth. He's angry. I mean, there has been change, but he doesn't feel it's been enough. Um, and and he keeps pushing that uh, all the time to to uh, to all Italian clubs. So, you know, play more youth. You know, someone like Nyonto. Why didn't one of you buy him? Why is he at Leeds? You know, he, he he's 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 bringing up all these youth young players. I mean, let's remember Mancini at Inter. He's the one who launched Balotelli's career. He was the one who played a 16, 17 year old Balotelli in the Coppa Italia against Juventus, where he scored a brace and broke through. You know, he's always done this. He, he, I remember in Milan derby, he played Nyokori, who never really, we never heard of him after or since. Um, you know, he is, he is good at finding, he's always been a coach who likes to integrate youth into important situations and setups. So it's, it's a gradual thing with him. And now, you know, that's why I call it Mancini's Azzurri revolution. Mm. But he has, uh, again, which you were skipping about a little bit, but it's, it's all good. Because Mancini has, when we're talking about the quality of Serie A and that translating to the Italian side, obviously not making the last World Cup. And Mancini, this is a quote from him. He, said, he was talking about that potential renaissance of Italian football. He said, it hasn't happened. This is club football. Only six or seven Italian players are actually part of Napoli, Milan and into starting eleven. 33 players would have been fantastic. That's 50% of them. Uh, 50% of them good. 30% also okay. The thing is, some under-19 games in Italy take place without a single Italian player on the pitch. Um, well, he so would say that, wouldn't he? I mean, he has to protect to himself, himself from... Maybe a little bit. Well, of course, he, he would have to say that because if you look at the talent on the pitch, Italy don't have a number nine. They have a big number nine crisis. But other than that... There's no big crisis at all. They have good young players. They won the Euros with a squad that is very, very young. So, and I think the reason why Italy didn't make this last World Cup was more down to, you know, it was more down to Jorginho missing two penalties, which was Mancini's decision to let him take. So, yes, of course, as a national team manager, your job is to put pressure on the top clubs to play more Italian players. That's interesting. Because, yeah, I think that's It's still low, though, isn't it? Sorry, James, to interrupt there. It's it's still... He's... I think you're absolutely right, Nima. Like all national managers do this mm. in all countries. Exactly. We hear it every time. But I also look at those teams and you look at Napoli and you look at AC Milan and I, is there enough Italian representation in these teams? When we compare them, let's say, compare Englishmen in uh, uh, at Man City, at Liverpool, at Man United, you look at those starting 11s and you have a good handful of English players in each. You look at these Italian 11s at say Napoli or AC or Inter, it's ones and twos, isn't it? But that and doesn't that come down to transfer recruitment? Because the the lack of money in Serie A 
means that you have to start to look at different markets. And I think that's something that actually has been very impressive in terms of what Napoli have done, what Atalanta have done in recent years. And it's allowed them to sort of find these these players, you know, for example, Atalanta with uh, Mailer and uh, Holland and uh, Coop Miners, all from outside of the top five leagues. You've got, uh, um, I can never say his name, Kfarak Scalia and Osman. I mean, Osman obviously came a couple of years ago and uh, Kim, as well, you know, in terms of that, in terms of ripple effects and and how Napoli have done so well, in terms of the players that they were able to sell out at the right time at the right price and bring in these these new recruits. What I find really interesting when I'm comparing the Premier League and Serie A is that English football had a similar problem where we were kind of it was it was a league in the doldrums, and then we sort of opened up <laughs> opened up the the doors and looked to bring in you know a lot of fantastic Italian players and, and players from all over the world. And then it got to a point where we kind of went a little bit too heavy with it, and it led to the the English team English players struggling a little bit because we couldn't get the quality there. It, when it comes to sort of the academy system, Nima, uh, but in, and that line on the under nineteens. Is where where is the problem here? Or are you because are you feeling like actually it's something that's being sort of blown out of proportion? Because it does seem like there are no, a lot less no. Italian players there. But two, it is also surely you've got to swim in different waters when those sort of bigger waters are, are dominated by the Premier League and the money that it has and they're spending easily. No, look, I, I think that I mean we need to separate the discussion here a little bit. Are we talking about whether or not Italian young players are getting enough playing time in the Serie A, and that Serie A needs to modernise? Absolutely, I think there's lots that Serie A can do. I think that young players, like you know, under nineteen, under twenty ones, definitely have a deserve to get you know more chances in the Serie A and this ridiculous you know this old dated notion of in Italy where you're essentially a young player until you're twenty eight and then you're a senator. <laughs> I mean, so this, this, this is the most Italian thing ever. But that, I think that's changing now as well. I mean, you see clubs like Empoli, Udinese, um, you know, even Lecce, you know, they are they are looking more. They, they, they look everywhere, but they also look at home. I think Italian football is moving in the right way in terms of talent, talent development, in terms of changing its attitude. You know, we see more, more progressive Italian coaches doing well than ever before. Uh, much to my personal dismay, uh, because I'm 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 old school when it comes to that. I I, I love Allegri. I love when Allegri has 15% ball possession, one shot on target, one goal, and wins, and everyone goes crazy with an xG of 0.01. <laughs> that is my I I eat that up. You should I, come watch QPR. Gareth the tears, the tears that flow online after that is like that <laughs> is my drug injected into my veins. That, you know, <laughs> just straight hook it up, hook me up. Like, I never hear anyone say they love. Allegri. Oh, this is refreshing I to hear. Honestly, Ma- I'm I so done it. with Allegri. Oh, I, lo- I love Max. I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. But my point is simply this: that you know, that's that's my personal opinion. But it's it would yeah. be you know, if you look at the coaches that we see and the football that they play, it is becoming more and more, much more attacking based. But it's you know, you have the outliers like Italiano and uh, Vincenzo Italiano and Roberto De Zerbi, who are pretty much you know. Guardiola disciples because that's because what I was trying to get to really is that obviously the concept of the podcast is is the ripple effect so you're trying to under I'm trying to understand what's leading to what and within that and what I think we found it a little bit 
what I'm struggling with or trying to establish is the contradictions of it. So essentially, <laughs> welcome, Neiman, to, Neiman. <laughs> welcome to Italy, mate. Well, Italy being a contradictory society generally, and Italian football being contradictory, where where you, where you're literally always thirty seconds from hell or heaven all the time. Welcome, right. Mate. Welcome. Okay. So maybe so I'm, I'm finding it. So the truth is, because that's the thing. When you you yourself are saying this is a flash in the pan, this is a one season thing, but you're also telling me that you've got the most progressive um, sporting directors, the most progressive managers that are bringing in these fantastic players. So in terms of that watermark of being the best, uh, be it league or team, there's a contradiction there. Of course. Gianni, am I am I am I crazy or am I? <laughs> No, you're, you're, you're on the money. I mean, look, in Italian football, you're only so far from, you know, one, one week it could be a scandal and the next week we could be, you know, full of praise and, and exactly. with the next best thing. So, uh, you know, Nima's quite right. That's, a, that's the contradictory society and that's an Italian way of life and way of football. Exactly. It's like you just le- the older you get, the more you just learn to accept it and not it drive you. Like you build this kind of protection so that it doesn't drive you crazy. Like how but is the height, but what about the height yeah. of that quality? That's what I'm trying to get to. Is mm. is like, I, I agree. Like there's obviously in, in outrageous intelligence within the league. And also I always find it really interesting, you know, everything generally does come back to money. And what I'm really want is to believe that there, you know, you can keep um evolving and finding and being the hungriest people are often the sort of smartest when it comes to new ideas and 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 what we've got is a really competitive league there. But again, in, in terms of contradictions, you can have a competitive league. That doesn't, again, mean that everyone's brilliant. It might just mean everyone's squished together. That's what I'm trying to figure no, out. I, look, here. I guess, I guess what I'm saying, look, when it comes to talent, like when it comes to football, coaches, sporting directors, identifying talent, selling at a profit, r- running a successful club at, at barely any budget, Italians are fantastic at that. But when we're talking about marketing the league, the structure of the legal system, the sporting legal system the, that we're seeing now with Juventus, with the scandal there, with the capital gain situation, or how to even handle a simple thing like racism. They have, yeah. they are clueless. They're not, yeah. they're not just archaic. They are clueless. They don't know what the hell they're doing. It's in, you know, this is what I mean about the contradictory in Italian football is look, nothing, describes Italian football better than winning the European Championships and three months later failing to go to the quarter to, to the World Cup again. Like that yeah. that's just how it is. Obviously we've seen I think the change it always does come back to money and that change is because of foreign investment as much as anything else. You've got seven Serie A clubs uh, including Milan and Inter now that belong to sort of foreign owners, five from the US, one from Canada, one from China. And uh, again, TV money is a big part of all of this as well. Uh, I think it's the 530 million is the last TV deal in, uh, for Serie A, which is a ninth of the size of the Premier League one. For for, for Serie A to get where, to, to stay with it all, because I think, again, the other thing I've, I've got in the back of my mind is that fear of the Super League, of it heading that way, but also, I said this to Gianni before we started. I want it. I want Italian league teams to do well. I want the Italian league to do well because, as a QPR fan, I could. I've, I see the gap, and I, you can see it stretch when you're the have-nots. Do you think that the only way for Serie A to 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 rival these other leagues and then not be a Super League is to to sort of bite the bullet and follow the rest, get the marketing right, get the TV deal up, and also have that foreign investment, Gianni? 
Yeah, I mean, those things are, of course, absolutely key. I mean, one of the issues we, we might face in Italy is you've got these these top teams of which there's, you know, we can name them, the, the six, seven big, big teams, but they're not getting in the Champions League every year. So even that money isn't guaranteed because who gets top four? Even this season, we can look at it and go, AC Milan might need to win the Champions League to get in the Champions League next year. So you can't even guarantee those funds moving forward. And we even look at Serie A four different winners in four years there isn't hasn't been a dominant team for a long time not consistently over time sure there Which was is odd, isn't it that, again another years. contradiction because you want you want that competitive nature yeah. that's wonderful that you've had four different yeah. uh, league yeah. winners and in, it makes the league country. so exciting yeah. it makes yeah. it but then you need you need that guarantee moving forward for the next five years that we're going to be finishing top four and there's very few teams that can commit to that you know historically juventus if we go back the last decade yeah sure but not necessarily moving forward. I mean, this year there's been that dominant team in Napoli, which has been great. But where were they a couple of years ago? You know, they weren't competing and they weren't getting Champions League football. Mm. But you're right. Like the marketing is key. The investment is key. The TV deal, well, absolutely. The structure, because we're I mean, shadow. For, the, for, for the love of God, Italian football stadiums and Italian football, oh, you know. The, the, the match day experience, I mean, the hospitality, exactly, yeah, there's I no mean, offering. Look, Inter and Milan have are two of the biggest football clubs in the world and they play at a San Siro, which I love, but it is a hundred years old and it feels like it's a hundred years old. So, you know, they, and they don't even own their own stadiums, which is also insane. I mean, this is all Premier League clubs own their own stadiums and they're all state of the art whilst Italian stadiums are the, in these, you know, most of them, except for a few exceptions here and there, most of them are archaic. You know? Italia 90, aren't they? They're, you know, they're all well, that's the last time they refurbished them, yeah, properly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not but, possible. Italy's bid for the Euros, right? So mm. hopefully oh, that's, that's going to spur on some extra Gianni, funding. Johnny, you know as well as I do, and I know you're right, sarcastic when you say that, because we all know how it works <laughs> in Italy. They are, this is the classic Italian way. They don't well, understand. Yeah, tell me, how does nine, it work? Yeah. No, this is the, the 90s are over. This is how Italian politicians and Italian football poli- directors and work. Let's first get the, the, the World Cup or the Euros. Then we invest in stadiums. No, you first build the stadiums. This is not 1985 anymore. They don't understand that. But I think the penny is starting to drop. I don't think Italy are going to get that championship um, because why would UEFA give it to them when they've got five, six other bids, all with state-of-the-art stadiums. And why, why, like, why would they g- give it to Italy? It's like, no, we're not doing it. Until, this is the thing, they have to understand that the, that the old ways don't work anymore. And I think the penny is dropping slowly, but surely. Final one on, on the attendances, because I thought that was interesting. I sort of looked into that a little bit. In terms of uh, under 25,000 as an average attendance from eighth down, uh, it's all mm. under 25,000. I then looked at the Premier League and it was the bottom four. It was only the bottom four that were under 25,000. The reason for that, is that how, how is it the fan experience or is it something else? Is there any kind of, is there a different sort of level of contempt for going to the game in any way, shape or form? Or is it simply, it's just, you know, it's a dangerous place to go, like, quite literally? No. I mean, it, 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 unless you're going to a, a big derby, like I'd still consider them family friendly is the wrong term, but I'd consider them safe to take families to. Yeah. Like families don't really go to football in Italy, mm. but the the fan experience it's it's you know you're often sitting on a dirty concrete seat or a dirty seat. You pay you, you pay low ticket prices. 
mm. getting tickets availability is usually there but yeah but those, the, the those bottom four teams enough. i've got here nine thousand nine thousand twelve thousand twelve thousand well let's also contextualize who those bottom teams are i mean we're talking about a sampdoria whose owner is being investigated for serious crimes they've had a they have a serious serious issue this season it's been a nightmare we're talking about a cremonese who haven't been in who's not exactly a big side in in, in the north of italy they i mean the capacity is what 15 18 000 uh, and you've got spezia who really up until a few years ago were not even the third team in liguria the the, the area where they're from with not exactly a giant stadium either but if you look at the attendance of roma lazio inter milan napoli the big ones they've never had this high attendance in, yeah. in ages it's doing um, really well yeah, it's yeah. doing really really well i mean it depends on you know what you're looking what you're comparing to okay um so, so, it's, so it's a it's lack of investments it's well no it's, it's not just a lack of investment i think it's also to do with the cities involved are very really tiny i mean again it depends when when if you're a sampdoria fan and your your owner ends up in prison in the middle of the season as he's about to f- hire another coach and that deal falls through you might not be enticed to go and watch your team play and you're pissed off like again, I mean, do you know what I mean? And also, if you come yeah. from a small city with Monza, it's what like what they got an attendance of what ten thousand. I mean, the, the, it's, it's you know that yeah, exactly. It's it's not much. So you know, they're not big places. But if you look at the overall, the big the big clubs who have seventy. I mean, Inter averaging seven, Milan seventy thousand every game. Napoli, same thing there. Roma and Lazio this season packing packing up every you know every every pretty much every single game. So. There, there is nuance. I mean, yeah. I mean, if 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 Bournemouth were to, you know, if you were to judge the entire, you know, all of England based of, or the Premier League based on on Bournemouth attendances, it would be a little bit miss, you know, not wouldn't show the the, the full truth. But yes, you yeah. are right. There is need investment needs to be made. And James, if we compare, like in in English football, like you see it all the time, like West West Ham fans, any away fan will complain. They go to the London Stadium and they go miles from the pitch. Right, because there's been a running track around there. Well, this is a problem that we have in Italy. Like so many of these grounds, the the viewing experience, and you can say the match day experience if you look at the toilets mm-hmm. and the facilities, but also the viewing experience. You know, you get a better view on TV, and again, load of the games on TV. We yeah. don't have the blackouts, so worth noting all these things for for that match day experience for sure. Right, we will take uh, we will take a break, and then we will get back to. I think we're going to zone in on some of these teams uh, after this. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Right, so do you remember about 40 minutes ago we were going to start talking about Milan and Inter? What I would like to know, again... The sort of the stuff that we would never talk about in terms of, 
I guess sticking with stadiums for a second, not for long, guys. Don't worry. the The fact that you've got two teams here playing at their own stadium and just the derby, uh, uh, you know, generally. Nima, let me come to you on this one. Like, paint a picture when it comes to this semi final and these two teams playing each other and 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 how powerful it is as a you know a derby, but of course the semi final as well. This is the most important Milan derby in a generation. Um, the last time that the semi-final of the Champions League was contested between Inter and Milan was in 2002-2003, pretty much exactly 20 years ago, when Milan went through on the away goals rule, despite both of them playing at the San Siro. Uh, <laughs> so, which, which was something that mentally broke Inter for two, three seasons, uh, prompting Roberto Mancini to be appointed, prompting Facchetti to become the club's president, or even though Moratti still owned the club. You know, that that was a heavy blow to Inter. Um, and of course, Milan ended up winning that Champions League. They ended up going to two more Champions League finals, winning and losing one. Um, that And if you look at the starting lineups, both lineups in those games are riddled with world-class players. That's not quite the case here, which makes it, you know, because um, both teams or both clubs feel a place in the final is up for grabs. Um, and they, you know, no one, neither of them expected to be in this position. They might have dreamed about it, but they didn't really count on being here. Um, so that in and of itself makes it the, you know, the, the, the biggest derby, the most important Milan derby that will define uh, the derby, I think, to, to many extents uh, for a generation. The Lukaku element going to to Inter and talking about them for a second is is a really interesting one when we talk mm. about the ripple effect and where how we got here in terms of Lukaku even you know playing for Inter right now, but also kind of the the, the future. Um, Gianni, like, it's a bit harsh to put this on you, but like what what happens with what happens with Lukaku? Um, over the next couple of weeks. And what does that mean for Inter Milan moving forward? Because he's almost becoming a bit of an eyesore. I know he's like, the last few weeks he's been been good. He's been very good. Um, But prior to that, it's been been quite an argumentative season for Inter Milan as a whole. And he's sort of been a little bit a part of that. Um, How do you feel about Lukaku, his career, his Inter career and his future Inter career? I mean, if we go back a couple of years and you see the Lukaku under Conte and you look at the system and you look at the players he played with at Inter, not a huge amount has changed. Yeah, sure, the manager's different. It is a different style, but he's still playing up front when he plays with Lataro. Perfect. We saw that under Conte. An amazing front two, three, four years ago under Conte. We haven't quite seen that under Inzaghi. Is he an Inzaghi player? Maybe not. But you look at the depth there in that Inter squad, there's four very good strikers there. You know, Edin Dzeko, when he's on form, Simone Inzaghi loves him and he can see he's not had the best couple of months, but you wouldn't be surprised to see him starting these games up front with Lautaro, like class on his day. Correa, again, managed under Inzaghi at Lazio, offers something good from the bench. Lukaku, despite being the big name on the big money, you know, he's not someone that walks into this 11 anymore. And where will he be in a few months? We don't know. I mean, can Inter afford him next season? Probably not. Um, huge wages. Chelsea needs some investment back if they're going to sell him. Will there be a buyer that can put him on that sort of contract? Absolutely not. He hasn't shown enough form. So Lukaku, 
yes, he's the big name and he's had the big headlines. But when you look at this inter team, he's a, he's more of an ins- insignificant character going into this semi final. You know, we were not really speaking about Lukaku when we're speaking about Inter's danger men. You know, you look at the wing backs, Demarco and Dumfries. You look at Lautaro the way he's playing. You look at Barella being the the big game player that Barella has been in for Italy and and more recently for Inter in the quarterfinals. These are the guys grabbing the headlines for Inter at the moment, not Lukaku. Uh, Nima, does does Lukaku need need something from the these semi-finals then to sort of give himself a chance of being an Inter player next year, or will he be returning to Chelsea regardless? What do you think will happen? Oh, he's returning to to Chelsea regardless. This season has, you know, what he can do if he were to lead Inter to a Champions League final, and by some grace of by some act of God, Inter were to win the Champions League because of Lukaku, then he will have made himself immortal at Inter. It all changes. It all changes. I mean, all of them. Remember Fernando Torres at Chelsea? That goal changed everything forever. No one will... Yes, we will remember him being a flop at Chelsea, but everyone will remember him getting Chelsea to the Champions League final, you know, for that goal against Barcelona. You know, all of these things change. Uh, now's the time to do it. And he's hitting form in the right time. Look, I think the Lukaku discussion needs to be nuanced a little bit here. I don't think he will... If we remember that this is someone who's played professional football since he was 15 years old. that He's pushing 30 now. That's 15 years of him pushing his body. And it's a big body, all right? He is a big guy. And he's been pushing that for 15 years. At some point, when you, unless you're very careful and do what Cristiano Ronaldo and what Zlatan Ibrahimovic did, which is play differently, conserve your energy, eat, sleep, train differently, you're not, you can't keep pushing your body like that. It's just you're a different human. body types too. Exactly. You look at Zlatan, you know Ronaldo, different body types. Yeah. You, Wayne Rooney and Lukaku, you yeah. might compare. You know, no, I'm, shorter, I'm just saying, I'm just talking about how span. you treat your body, like in terms of how you burn yeah. it. Zlatan barely moves today compared to seven, eight years ago. He use he yeah. plays differently. Cristiano Ronaldo used to be a technical winger who used to dribble. Well, he's for the past five, six years, he's been parked in the penalty area. Like yeah. what I'm, what I'm saying is that you need to adapt with your age and change how you utilize your body. Romelu Lukaku, I think, I don't think he will ever be the Lukaku we saw under Antonio Conte at Inter ever again. Back then, he was a world-class number nine, one of the best out there. I don't think he'll ever be that again, but I do still think that there is a serviceable player there. However, his cost, his wages are too steep for Inter to be able to afford them for another season, unless Chelsea and him decide to slash them in half, which I don't think right. is going to happen. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Juventus, um, because I think we have to sort of stop there at some point, because I think obviously the uh, the points deduction, what is, again, looking almost away from the basics of the story, Juventus had a 15-point um, deduction that has temporarily been um, given back so that they can reformulate I'm intrigued to know what that word means. Um, how does how does the rest of Serie A feel about Juventus and the predicament they they find themselves in? Is there any empathy at all towards them, or are, are they, you know, they, do they want it to be more severe? What is the feeling around Juventus? Because I think it's it's interesting, and I wonder. I, I'll put the question there in terms of that taking away that uh, appeal and possibly allowing Juventus back into the Champions League. Have they realised? the importance of Juventus being allowed to sort of remain at the top or do you think they will come back to 
to that points deduction because at, at the moment it is temporary and um, they have they have you know they are a fallen giant at the moment to a point. Um, obviously, you know Napoli have had a cr- cracking season, but as we've spoken about previously, those four different winners over the last few years, you know that's not what it was prior to that. Juventus were utterly dominant for so long. So yeah, I, I'm intrigued to know uh, Gianni or Nima, whoever whoever uh, wants to take it. What's the feeling of of the rest of of Serie A and the, the powers that be? I mean, Nima, I'll come to you in a sec. But I mean, the rest of Serie A has always hated Juventus for the reasons I guess, guess you mentioned, James. Like the biggest club that shouts loudest with the most money, with the best stadium. There's there's definitely envy there. But, you know, no surprises. There was going to be an appeal and, oh, look, they're back in the top four again. And, 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 and what does that mean for some of those other clubs sniffing around fourth, fifth? Like Juventus have had a terrible season. But actually, you look at it now and think semi-final of the Europa League should get top four. Uh, they've played bad football and the fans are unhappy with the manager. Um, they're unrecognisable from the Juventus of uh, Allegri teams even of old. You know, that Allegri team that was getting to Champions League finals not long ago is a very different looking team playing a very different even system. You know, now we see Juventus with a back three and wing backs. It ain't great. The big money signings even, you know, Vlavic was meant to be the guy that that, that keeps them at the very top. Well, he, he's not had a great season either. So, I mean, Nemo, in, in terms of the rest of the league and how they look at Juve, it's still with the same sort of disgust, really, right? Um, yeah, I mean, they're not... Once again, uh, Juventus have dragged themselves and and Italian football into a crisis with unnecessarily, even more unnecessarily this time than in 2006, regardless of how you feel about that, what happened in 2006. Um, this time around, they did it to themselves. There is no one else to blame but themselves. The entire board resigned because of what the Prisma investigation uncovered. We are talking about a publicly traded company here who allegedly falsified their balance sheet and their annual statements. That's incredibly serious from a criminal law point of view, not to mention the ripple effects it has in sporting law. That's one side of it. That's the salary manoeuvre that they so eloquently has named it in Italian media. Um, then there is also the capital gains issue. And one thing one, need, one needs to understand about Italian sports law is, yes, everyone understands that the value of a player is dictated as, because it's a completely unregulated market, it basically says the value of a player is decided by what the selling club is willing to sell for and the buying club is willing to pay. That's just how it works. However, Italian sports law generally has this thing about lealtà or honesty, basically, um, where you can't, where it, it can, if it can be proven that your intention was to deceive the system to gain an unfair advantage, then you have committed a violation. And that's what, with with regards to the capital gains case, has is what's happened here because now we know more because the Italian uh, Olympic Committee, uh, Coni. They held all directors, they upheld all their convictions, except for Nedved and some other people who really didn't have anything to do with it, with that. But from Paratici to Agnelli, Arrivabene, all their convictions and penalties were upheld because the police investigation showed without, you know, <laughs> heavy evidence, even though they haven't been convicted, so I've got to be careful what I say here so we don't get sued. But it was the, the evidence was overwhelming uh, that there was a clear intention to deceive the system. And as such, what happened today 
is that, you know, yes, the, 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 the court held that, well, the court of appeals went a little bit, were a little bit too quick to judge and, you know, gave 15 points. That was a little bit too much, but they also held today that an article four violation was, was, was committed. And as such, Juventus will receive a points deduction for the capital gains case. Um, and and that's that, that's how it works. Now, personally, I think I think that's I understand the like the how that like I understand the reasoning, the legal reasoning behind that. I still think that mm-hmm. I can't get away from the idea that if you have a completely unregulated market and you have a buying club and a selling club wanting to agree of a price, whether you think it's too much or I think it's too much or it's inflated, there's really nothing to stop them. But of course, if you have other yeah. evidence saying that they're colluding with other clubs to inflate prices to make them both look good, well, that's another, and, and that seems to be what has happened here. So it's 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 a little bit, it's one, it's 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 a complicated situation as always in Italian football. Um, but it's 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 not a good situation that Italian football should be in, and I think they have understood that that without the Super League, without the TV deals being the, the the domestic TV deal is actually pretty good. I'm talking about the foreign non-Italian TV TV deals. Until that is fixed, until there is actual investment, until they clean up their own acts in terms of how they handle racism, in how and how, in how they handle marketing in, in the stadiums, all of that. They this is the new reality of Italian football that they have to build around young players and then sell them off to the Premier League clubs because that's where the money is. That's what's kind of got Barcelona and Juventus into mm. the, these struggles is the fact that they're just chasing, chasing, yeah, like one one final gamble, one final gamble is, and especially when it comes to to recruitment. Um, let's let's finish up with a with Napoli because I, I think Napoli is such a positive story, mm. and uh, we ha- I haven't been able to give too many ripple uh, effects here because I've honestly I've just been too curious, and it's been honestly, guys, it's been so interesting to 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 learn so much about it all. Um, but in terms of ripple effects, possibly for, for Napoli, one uh, I just got to talk about is there is this mural of Maradona's face on in uh, Naples and uh, the face is painted over a window. So for both superstition mm. and almost religious worshipping of Maradona, the window with Diego's face in the city of Naples, it never opens. And it will only open uh, if and when Napoli win the Scudetto. So the last time it happened was when uh, Diego was on board in 1990 and it was opened. And there's a, I think we'll put a picture in the description, uh, a, a link, sorry, into the description so that you guys can see it because it is class. There's just some of that really happy bloke <laughs> like popping out of a window. Yeah. I just love, I just, the romance of Napoli for me is mm. just gorgeous absolutely gorgeous and the color uh, of it all uh, but you know coming back to kind of what we were just talking about there in terms of kind of getting the job done but with great football this is an incredibly well-run club Gianni and they've got great players that they sell when they would like to sell them for for nice amounts of money and I'm not trying to do a pun here but Napoli are the blueprint right <laughs> yeah, they really are. And yeah, really interesting because De Laurentiis, like the brains of the operation, of course, but thinking of Blueprint, like he's changing their kit like every month this season as well, just for shirt sales. It's been genius. There's so many. As a collector myself, I'm like, got yeah. a new kit every week. Like there's a Halloween edition and a Valentine's Day edition. Um, but no, I mean, look, on the pitch, you look at even 
we mentioned it earlier, some of the the, the transfers out last season, the, the Fabian Ruiz and Insigne leaves and Martins and uh, Mertens and, and Koulibaly, big, big names on big, big salaries. And then you look at those that come in, you know, Modest names at the time, you know, two big signings. We all know like Cavascalia has been amazing and look, Kim at centre-back, is, his his value has just shot up this season. There'll be all the big Premier League clubs wanting to buy him in the not-too-distant. But the the wages are just so, so low. And when you compare them, we say like, what a great blueprint. When you compare them to the, the rest of Europe, I think I saw the, these numbers for the 21-22 season in terms of salaries in Euros. Napoli is something like 130 million in a year. But to put that into perspective, you know, other Italian teams, Roma and Milan and Inter, way, way more. But then even Premier League clubs, you know, Liverpool, United, they're like 450, you know, wow. Napoli 130. You know, you're looking at triple the salaries here. And this is a team that, to many, were the dark horses to win the Champions League. And yeah, that didn't happen, but arguably have played the most attractive football in Europe this season. And I and I, I, I remain to the fact that the best football I've seen on a pitch this season has been Pep's Man City and Spalletti's Napoli. And it's just been genius. The mm-hmm. the system, the players, the expression, the uh, Cavascalia and Osman, the link-up, I hope they can keep these guys. Like, Cavascalia is going to be there next year. Of course he is. We hope, and De Laurentiis has said really positive things about Osimhen, but ultimately, these Serie A teams, not just Napoli, they lose their best players to league, to teams in the Premier League, as mentioned before. And I think yeah, Juventus have been linked with De Laurentiis as well, himself, in terms of bringing him um, over to, to sort of fix their, their recruitment. Um, we haven't even spoken about Paul Pogba. I'm intrigued to see what kind of summer he has and if there's, if there's a, you know, again, well, I, I did a video when he signed for Juventus and I said in that video, I was like, this is a disaster of a signing. I don't get it. And uh, yeah, it, it feels like that a little bit. That was great... anyone on a free transfer, mate. That was it. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was high the... wages is just Juventus' strategy in the last few years, but yeah. that's got to change. <laughs> has to change. James Horncastle, um, was, I was reading an article from him and uh, he said something that you're, he said, your, your league is only as good as your, as your, best side um and to sort of kind of finish up Nima uh are Napoli here to stay I know obviously they'd be disappointed if you make a great point with Victor Osman um, being injured and you would have expected him to to go through had that had he been available fit and firing but do you think in terms of that you know flying the flag for Serie A because five five in the European competition is amazing this season but it's not something you would imagine would happen every single year. But Napoli, do you feel like they are the the sort of flag bearers for the the next few years? I think that it's going to be difficult for any team uh, to of the last four Scudetto winners uh, to create a winning cycle. But if there is a club that is in the best position to do that, it would be Napoli. Um, Juventus, obviously, because of what happened with they couldn't afford the Cristiano Ronaldo project, and that thing just completely imploded. Inter's Sooning project imploded after COVID. Milan, we know, were never going to be able to invest like they needed to, to create a winning cycle. Uh, they have a project of youth. So Napoli, when you look at it, you're thinking, well, they always turn a profit, you know, pretty much, uh, except for the COVID years. He slashed the wage budget. He won the he won the league. They got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League for the first time ever. Yes, you know Victor Rossman. Can he get Victor Rossman to extend his contract by just one year? Uh, what happens to Kim Min Jae's clause? You know that's that's active for the first fourteen days in July. Do they? Does he leave? Does he stay? 
if they can keep, but you know, for me, the key is Victor Osserman. As much as I think Kim Min Jae has probably been the best central defender in the world right now, there are options out there that you can replace with. You cannot replace Victor Osserman. And we saw that. When Victor Osserman does not play, Napoli doesn't click. It's as simple as that. If you bring a replacement, and I'm sure that they will, even if they find a great replacement, it won't be Victor Osserman. Um, so for me, <laughs> well, I doubt they would ever bring him. Um, but but no, seriously, they you know because what because how Osserman plays. I mean, his movement patterns, his linker plays. He's in you know he's magical in the air. He's like Michael Jordan the way he jumps. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, everything he does. Um, so I think I think Osiman is the one that they just simply cannot lose for me more than anything. If they can keep Osiman and they sacrifice Kim and Jay, I'm sure. Look with 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 whoever they've got coming in uh, will be will be good enough because they've proven that through the years. But I think the most important thing is who's the next sporting director at Napoli. It seems like Juntoli is leaving for Juve. Um, it seems that way. If that happens, that appointment is incredibly important. They have to get that right because mm. he's always gotten it right with these appointments, De La Rintis. This is the one he needs to get right. I think that is, for me, that is the most important appointment. Who replaces Juntoli as the sporting director? Okay. Guys, I've loved it. I've absolutely loved it. You're both fantastic. And yeah, it's, it's just great to get like a real flavor of it. I think often, you know, you watch your highlights, you look at your analytics and Gianni, me and you do that far too much in our lives, but to kind of get, understand the soul of it a little bit more has, has been an absolute joy guys. So massive, massive thank you guys. You've obviously just listened to two fantastic uh, broadcasters there. So you want to go and follow those people. So Gianni, where do they need to go to hear more from your, your lovely voice? Yeah, so you can check me out on YouTube, uh, Twitter and Instagram. So yeah, if you just search my name, you'll you'll find me. Thank you, Derek. Uh, Nima? Well, if they want to find me, they can find me on Twitter at NimaTav, R-O-O-D. And if they want to listen to the Italian Football Podcast, they can do so every Monday on Spotify as they're listening through this, I'd say, the same platform. And if they want to go. support the show, they can go on patreon.com slash TIFP. Amazing. Um, guys, thank you so much. Um, guys, if you're still listening, you should have been because you're probably enthralled. And you've probably enjoyed yourself. So give us a five-star rating. Follow the podcast. As I said, go check out the guys as soon as possible. And join us next time for The Ripple Effect.